Thanks, team. I was, I was thinking as we're sitting here all together worshiping, how foolish it looks to the world. How foolish it looks to gather together and sing songs together, especially as off-key as I sing. <laughs> but what an amazing, supernatural God that you and I worship. And and I think I think we're going to see it more. We're heading into the Old Testament starting this week and over the... You know, mostly, we'll stop for Easter, and I think there's a topical in there too, but mostly over the next month and a half, we're going to go to the Old Testament into Jonah. And Jonah, you know, if anybody knows anything about Jonah, they know, oh, it's about a supernatural thing, the big fish. We'll hit the big fish, but I'll just tell you, we're doing all of chapter 1 today, and there's no fish. Sorry. Jonah is an amazing, amazing book. And it speaks of the supernatural mercy of our God that you and I have tasted if you're here worshiping him and singing to him today. And I don't want you to leave here not deepened in your depth of worship at the amazing God who supernaturally has you. You know this, but it's a story, right? It's a story from, from get this, over 2,500 years ago. Take any book on your bookshelf, any great story, and start reading it, and you'll realize it was written 100 years ago or maybe 10 years ago or maybe 5 years ago. This is 2,500-plus years ago. This story, and it's a true story about something that actually happened. I know that because Jesus said so. And it, and it, and it is this incredible upside-down statement about what life is for you and me. I love the Bible, but oftentimes I make the Bible a glory story. What I mean is this. I go something along these lines. You've got to take everything and do everything for the glory of God. It sounds so good. I was even listening to it on the radio this morning as I drove into church, and it's only a four-minute drive. So right there on the radio, they, they were talking about I, every little thing. You know, I just take every little thing if I can make it for his glory. Absolutely wonderful sentiment. But don't miss Jonah. Because Jonah takes that statement and says, you might be looking at it backwards. We trust a supernatural God. That means something amazing that influences your life. We get to see it, this first chapter in Jonah, I'm calling it man overboard. But, but throughout, you have to realize Jonah is a tale of mercy. Not a whale's tail. A tale. A real tale. It puts to death this glory story and we receive mercy. You and I. It's a story of irony and if you know what irony is, irony is when people do unexpected things. Things that you think go one way, all of a sudden they flip and they go the other way. Jonah. Okay. So, so you know, really, normally all the other prophets in the Bible, if you... If you look at the prophets, what they're doing is they're receiving the word of the Lord and speaking it so you hear it. They're recording the words of God. Jonah's the only one where really it's a story about the man of God. He says a few things. He's truthful all the way through, which is really interesting. He's a prophet. But it's unexpected on almost every level. These are real Characters, And in, we know Jonah from 2 Kings 14. We know when he lived, which is in this period before Israel, which was the northern kingdom, was taken over by the Assyrians. And, and so before that, even there, there was, in, and Jonah's in the south, but he's, he's talking about, and they, 
they're paying tribute to this cruel nation in the north called Assyria. The capital of Syria is a place called Nineveh. And they're known as brutally cruel people. They take their, their prisoners of war and put hooks through their chins. They'd cut off their thumbs or their toes so they couldn't run away. They were mean and, and they were feared. And here, Jonah, interestingly, has to, 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 to go to them. But we're not there yet. Just one more word. Because, because this is part of a book. It's called The Twelve. And if you're not familiar with your Old Testament, we're going to follow the sort of the Hebrew presentation of this, that the 12 is 12 prophets all put together that were put together in a little book that the people who came back from exile could read. That's important because you know what happened was Assyria came down and conquered Israel and took them away. And then finally God brought them back. And the people looked at the ruins of what their land had become and said, why? And there's these prophets that they could read to help them understand God's heart. I don't know whatever ruin your life has taken. I don't know whatever hard things might happen or good things. I don't know. But I know this. Jonah's a message you need to hear about God. So really, Jonah has these four interconnected scenes. And we're going to do the first one today, which is Jonah chapter 1. It's a story, and that's fun. But it's easy to forget that, that this is a story of your God. The God you and I worship. This is an amazing truth that God is over all other gods. And our trust is that he has us, not that we have ourselves. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at each player in this amazing put-together piece. And the first one's the prophet. We have to look at the prophet first. So we're going to look first at Jonah himself. So if you have your Bibles, this is part of the 12 in the Old Testament. It's it's easy to, to miss. Jonah chapter 1. So now the word of the Lord. It's kind of important in this Old Testament story. When you see L-O-R-D that's capitalized, that's Yahweh. That's the name of God. So the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of, son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we start out with this amazing, it's going to teach us, story of God. And the word of God comes to God's prophet with a surprising message. Leave where you are and go to these pagan people and tell them they're evil. Right? I mean, that's what it is, a cry out. And, and it's pretty amazing that God would send a prophet to a foreign land, but he's doing it, and, and, and it said it's from God. Jonah knew it was from God. The real shocker is the next verse. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What? To, to anyone here, now you know the story, you know we did it, and too many of us who know the Sunday school story. But this is a shocking verse because God's prophet here say, go west. It's actually more like maybe northeast. Go, go northeast. And so he turns and he takes as far as he can go. He goes southwest, exactly opposite of the word of the Lord. Go east to Nineveh, he goes west towards Spain. 
So immediately, I, I, why? Why have God told, boy, if you had a voice that, go to Seattle. I would not turn and run for Vancouver, Canada. And then that's what he does. So why? Why? Immediately what I think when I read this, if I hadn't read ahead, because we're going to be told later, but we're not told at the beginning, I'd be thinking, the guy's afraid he's going to get killed by these cruel Ninevites. They're evil, and he's got to go to them. It's like going to downtown Compton. I don't want to go. Why? He runs. And the way away from God is repeated four times in this text. It's down. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence. The thought is it's Jerusalem, but still, I wonder if he'd heard of Psalm 139. David's already wrote, he says, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, behold, you're there. If I go to the depth of, the, of hell, behold, you're there. You can't get away from the presence of God. It's not going to work, and perhaps that's not what he's thinking, that he can escape. He's thinking, I can, <laughs> I can reject this. I'm not doing that. I won't do it. I'd rather die, so kill me. There. God's own prophet, the one who speaks for him, the one who's prophesied in the past, he's disobedient. And so what will God do? What do you think he should do? I'm thinking lightning bolt. Fireball? Oh, wait, wait, wait. God God can be quick. He can just stop his heart. Heart attack. But the Lord, Yahweh. He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And you say, but Yahweh said, oh, I get it. He's going to use the weather. He's just waiting for the appropriate moment. It'd be too fast to do the heart attack. He's going to make him seasick first. Get that boat out to sea. It's not called Davy's Locker for nothing good grave for this disobedient sinner who was a chosen prophet, but now he's lost it and he's done. This is a great verse too because such an active, powerful God. The word hurl is just like... And, 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 and then the ship, it actually literally in Hebrew says the ship was frightened. The ship was afraid, like even the wood. He'll handle this disobedient prophet, our God. Well, things will be made right. But then all of a sudden... Well, I'm thinking, yeah, this is this is going to be a short book. Jonah's going to die. There's another character group brought in. There's somebody else involved. They come out of the blue. It's the pagans. Yeah, I'm talking about the sailors. You see it? Let's look. Then the mariners. The mariners. I knew Seattle was in here somewhere. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled, everybody's hurling things. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
that Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Okay, all of a sudden I see these sailors, and these sailors don't know God. They, they, they're there, and they, this thing's happening to them because of Jonah. And, and so there they are, and even they're afraid, this massive storm, the boat's about to break up. And what do you do? Well, what you do is you pray out to your God. That's not the name for Yahweh, that God, each to his God, right? Little, little G God. These idol worshipers, they're praying to their idols, whatever they brought on board, and their puny man-made gods, and the God of the universe laughs. And that, that's what I'm thinking. No one stands against God. They're doing all they can. They're so desperate, they heave out their worldly goods. You know, they're striving to make the boat float better. We don't, we don't care about that. Our lives are at stake. We're dying. And, and these sailors, what are they doing? They're responding to the action of God. What's Jonah doing? Sleeping. Not God's prophet. He's asleep. It's too much, right? Can't, can't God just... Punch a hole in the side of the boat. How about you turn his pillow into a big snake? He probably points to Jonah knowing what's going on, figuring his life is over. That's how strongly he disagreed with the plan of God, God's way, God's warning of these people that he hated. But, but the interaction's interesting. So the captain came to Jonah. He said to him, hey, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah shouldn't be sleeping. God sends this pagan captain and wakes him up. Call out to your God. There's no hint that the captain knows anything about God, our God, Yahweh. He's just using this generic term. If you won't do anything else, pray. Waves are obeying God. The captain's obeying God. That Everybody's responding to God, not Jonah. So they said to one another, come on, let's cast lots. We may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Oh, this is rich because they're casting dice. God's even in control of chance. Points exactly to who he wants it to point to, which is Jonah. These lots are probably dedicated to some pagan foreign god. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. So they come up to Jonah. They tell Jonah, what in the world? Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? Who are you and why are you? Why is this happening? They're asking the questions we already know the answers to. But you see their confusion. What, right? Where are you from? What do you do? What's your country? What's your people? And he says to them, truly, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Literally, it says, Hebrew, I am. Yahweh, I fear. The God of heaven, who made everything. I fear him, Jonah says, the only God, the true one, the one who sent this storm, the one who made everything, the high God, 
I know what you're thinking because I'd think it too. You're not fearing him enough. Not doing what he said to do. He's like, I fear him so much that I'm just going to go die because I don't want to do this. So then the men were exceedingly afraid. They said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. So this fear ramps up, right? It says, fearing they feared. What have you done? And, and, and Jonah says, I know he's in charge. I'm tired and I'm depressed. I won't do what he asked, but I know it's him. I'm running from his presence. And probably the presence in Jerusalem. What have you done? Realize who's asking this. Because we, we forget the context, right? Pagan sailors praying, praying to pagan gods. They have no relationship to Yahweh. Every breath they take is idolatry. What have you done? Jonah's interacting with pagans, right? He's explaining God to them. The very thing that he has decided he wouldn't do. It's going to be really cool to be in heaven because I will bet, not a betting man, I'll bet there's some Ninevites in his crew. Because he was supposed to go to Nineveh and tell pagans about God. Look what he's doing. Anyway, the interaction continues. They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous that they're going to die. They know death is coming. What do we do? Tell us, prophet of God. Tell us, pagans. What do we do? God rocks the sea. God stokes the waves. And Jonah said to them, pick me up and hurl me. Throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. You realize that Jonah's problem is not faith. He believes and knows that God has come after him. It's me, he says. Hurl me. It's the exact same word, word as God hurling the, the, the storm. I believe that God controls the waves and everything, but I won't do that. And so it's just ironic, isn't it? God says, go speak to Nineveh. And just as I won't go to that foreign place and tell foreigners who I hate about God. And then this situation comes where Jonah's explaining to these foreign people about God. Disobedient prophet running away from God, going down and down and down, but he's not killed. He's being used. He's pagan unbelievers, sailors, no hope at all, praying to idols, except here comes Jonah. And to the Jewish mind, right, really? They're undeserving of anything. They're not God's people. They're praying to idols. They're eating pork. They're unchosen. They're unclean. And you look at these guys. They're trying to be good, but they're (laughs) they're not. They won't even do what they're supposed to do. They're like, no, 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 that doesn't sound right that we should kill you. We're going to do everything we can not to do what you said. Right? So they, nevertheless, it says in verse 13, they men rode hard to get back to dry land. We don't want to do that. But the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. These pagan soldiers, sailors, they, they don't want to hurl Jonah over. Maybe we can make it alone. 
So even though they've tossed their worldly possessions and they've cried out to their idols and they're exceedingly afraid of death, you see them unwilling to hurl Jonah over, trying with all their own might to to row to safety. And they, they can't. It is them against Yahweh. Yahweh wins every time. Therefore, it says, they called out to Yahweh. Don't miss this. This is absolutely remarkable. They've called out to their gods. They've they've listened to Jonah. And now what are they doing? They're calling out to our God. They called out to Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, oh, Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. They pray. Amazing. The text emphasizes they don't pray to God, to Yahweh. It's twice there, right? Oh, don't let us perish for this man's life. We call out to you. We're doing as as you say. These men at the end of their rope, and they've tried their own ways. They're going to listen to God's prophet and do as he says. Guess what? I, I have a word for this. It's called salvation. You call to the name of the Lord will be saved. We got it. We got it. We got to consider the elephant in the room of the whole thing, which is our God. Because we're towards the end. Here he goes. He says, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. God hurled the storm. Jonah says, hurl me. And here they do. Woomph. Silence. They turn their heads. Something supernatural, right? I mean, if you're on the storm, the storm is raging, you throw over somebody and all of a sudden, boom, flat seas. Something wild. So it's no wonder then that the men feared Yahweh exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and they made vows. Our scene ends here. I know there's another verse in your text. It's not in the Hebrew text. In the Hebrew text, verse 17 goes to chapter 2. And so the fish comes next week or two weeks from now. Read chapter 2. We end here. Our scene ends. The curtain comes down. These pagan men fearing Yahweh exceedingly, making sacrifices, making vows. It's presented positively, even though they're not in the temple. They're not clean. They're not Israelites. Here are the good ones. These pagan idol worshipers are hurled overboard, God's prophet, and then seemingly sacrilegiously making sacrifices on a ship far from Jerusalem to Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. Remember, this book is written to Israel, right? That, you've got to keep the context in mind. She says that this is, seems crazy and heretical, and that's the point. The, the, the point is, is, is not Jonah. It's not the mariners. It's, it's our God, our God, your God. You see who he is. The sailors have made the theological point of the scene, Look at it in verse 14. Look at it one more time. I, I translated it a little different way so you'd see it more clearly and poetically as it's written because they say, Yahweh, 
as you desire, you have done. Oh, God, as you desire, you have done. This is your God. He does what he wills always. Jonah's disobedience is used to do what God wills. The sailor's obedience is to do what God wills. The wind and the waves are to do what God wills. Everything in this whole chapter is according to his will. Jonah's choosing and running in no way thwarted God's plan for him. He has a plan. What's his plan? Jonah, you will warn evil people. I will use your mouth to do it. And we saw it, right? He ran, but he opened his mouth to warn pagans of Yahweh. And God's plan is they feared and they obeyed and they sacrificed. And every indication is surprise, Israel. God accepted it. Look at Gentiles getting saved. God's plan is to have patience with disobedience. Over and over on the world, every breath they still breathe, we still breathe. God is patient and it is never too late. God's plan is to be merciful to the undeserving, and the undeserving includes his prophet, God's man who gets it wrong. I know this because I'm undeserving. You are too. So so this peace, right? Be who you are and honestly speak of what you know. The God of the Hebrews, he controls the winds and the waves and he is the one who has saved you. Whether you do the right thing or not, God has a wideness of mercy that brings us to our knees and it's, as Romans 2 says, your kindness that brings us to repentance. Oh Lord. I plead with you this morning to see that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Patient and powerful and merciful because we sin, right? And we know others who sin and we need the eyes of Christ that he is working. He doesn't let Jonah go. He saves the unlovely. Our trespasses are to be prayed for if not unto death. But Jonah is still alive, right? And used by God in spite of himself. Do you see how this is an amazing story of God for you and me? Because I'm tempted to live my life trying to make sure I line everything up in a row. Don't be like Jonah, I would say. God says go east and you you go west. Crazy man. Don't do it. But when you do it anyway, and when you see in your life, and you will see it if you haven't, that the choices you've made and the things you've done are not what God has said is the perfect thing to do. You say, well, then forget it. Obviously, I haven't brought any glory to God. Obviously, my life is toast and worthless. Obviously, if I was just better, then God would get glory through me. You come back to Jonah. Jonah, and and, and here's where we're going to end here, but you've got to see this. This is a Christological picture. Jonah is the most strongest, beautiful, amazing picture of Jesus Christ that the Old Testament has When Jesus stands up in Matthew and he says, I'm only going to give you one sign. What's the sign? The sign of Jonah. When when Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is talked about, whose name comes up? 
Jonah, what was he doing? Running away from God. This is our God. He says, I've got you. I know you don't think right. I know you're not who you should be. I have you. You trust me. This is the story of God, right? Because Jonah and the sailors needed saving, and God did it. God, God, honestly, you know, Jonah's really interesting because his disobedience becomes this amazing sign. And, and the sign that people talk about is the three days and three nights because Jesus mentions that. I think when he talks about Jonah, it's the whole thing. And today in chapter 1, do you see the connection to Jesus? That Jonah, Right? The one man, Jonah, through his sacrifice, because every indication at the end of the real chapter one is that Jonah has been killed. When you throw somebody overboard in a raging storm, the reason why they didn't want to do it is he's dead. They throw the one overboard, and all of these Gentile pagans get saved. Have you heard of atonement? Have you heard of the one for the many? Have you heard of, 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 of can, I, can I put this up? The Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. See, the one sacrifices so the many live. I know that. Wherever You know my Savior. You know that the God came and he was perfect in every way. He wasn't like Jonah. He didn't run, but he took on the sin of you and me. He took on our disobedience and our terribleness and our horribleness. And and he died for us on a cross and he shed his blood so that you and I would be saved. So that the waters would be flat. So that we can say, oh, Yahweh, you are a supernatural God of mercy. And you have done this work that no one could do. And it's your work, not mine. Beloved children of God, be true. Do not hide away in lies of deception, fearing if you make a mistake, you will not bring glory to God. Your God is supernatural, and he's bigger than that. He has not promised you sinlessness. He will take you to the most incredible places where he who is God and not man will bring glory to himself, and he'll even use you. Put an end to the glory story. Worship the one who's really glorious. Jesus. Hey, rest there. Have peace there. Set your heart there that Jesus Christ has done it. Oh, this is why we sing songs. We have a Savior. Pray with me.